following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Good evening. Um, Our Bible reading for this evening is from the Gospel of Mark, and we're reading chapter 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 15, which can be found on page 1002 of your Bibles. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the river Jordan. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, be with me now as I speak. Be with all of us as we hear your word to us today. Amen. Mr and Mrs Dursley of number four Privet Drive were proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. They were the last people you'd expect to be involved in anything strange or mysterious because they just didn't hold with such nonsense. I know that row at the back there know where that is from. Anybody else? Harry Potter. Yes, what about this one then? This is a harder one for you. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Now, I thought that sounded a bit like the 2020s so far, but I heard somebody knew, what was it? Very good, you see, you're very clever here. Beginnings. What we have here is the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Beginnings are important, and so are endings. 
I must have spent hours of my teaching career encouraging children to get beyond once upon a time and they all lived happily ever after. Or the one which every teacher will recognize that is even worse than that, and she woke up and realized it was all a dream. For those of you who are preparing to leave Durham, maybe just for the summer or maybe forever, it might feel a bit strange to be focusing on a beginning today. You might well not be around for the rest of this sermon series on Mark. But of course, beginnings and endings go together. In Revelation 22, Jesus describes himself as the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Whenever we start something new, something else always comes to an end. It's part of life. Not always an easy part of life, though. The song Leaving on a Jet Plane still finishes me off even 18 years after one particularly sad goodbye. And I must be the only person to have missed their own surprise leaving party. You can ask me about that one later. Someone much wiser than me once said, or rather sang, Let's start at the very beginning, a very good place to start. But here we have a beginning that in one sense isn't a beginning at all. There are no babies or donkeys, no tinsel or cake, no dodgy repeats on the TV. We have three men, two prophets, one Lord. This beginning has been prophesied, so it actually began earlier. There is a beginning before the beginning. How can that actually be? We have a prophet here, John, whose coming has been prophesied. Even before we get to Jesus, Isaiah prophesied a messenger preparing the way of the Lord. And John prepares the way for the one more powerful than he, the straps of whose sandals he is not worthy to stoop down and untie. And John prophesies, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. But when does that baptism actually take place? Not until after Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension. We're at the beginning of Mark's gospel here. And there is lots happening here and now but there are pointers and connections to other times too, from before the birth of Christ to after his death and glory. Now you might think there would be enough in this passage alone for me not to point you elsewhere. But as Mark bounds through his story, he moves us on rapidly to the event that his whole story points to, Jesus' crucifixion, and resurrection. And the pace of his gospel shows, sorry, slows there. Just as the action slows at the end of a frantic football match and the referee blows his whistle and you know the pain of penalties is coming and England are probably going to lose. Now the gospel writers 
found inspirational ways to end their stories. Matthew ends his gospel with the Great Commission and a promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Luke ends with the disciples praising God in the temple. My favorite ending is John's. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. But Mark's ending is more controversial. And there were two alternative endings in the NIV that might have been added on later. The oldest manuscripts, however, end with this. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Now that seems like a pretty weak ending to me. The teacher marking that story would no doubt have criticized the lack of a satisfactory conclusion. The women are terrified, totally paralyzed by fear. And yet, something must have happened because if it hadn't, we wouldn't be here would we? Those women must have told others, and those others told yet others, and because of those others who told others who told others, somehow we are here. So at the start of Mark's gospel, we have a beginning which isn't really a beginning, and at the end of Mark's gospel, we have an ending which isn't really an ending. Mark, throughout his gospel, is setting the scene for the rest of the story, for our part of the story. So for all of us here today, whether we are leaving Durham or not, whether we are in a time of endings or beginnings or both, whether we are in what feels like a static time or a time of upheaval, Whatever stage we are at, what can we take from all the action of these verses? Now, I'm going to focus in on one particular snippet, Jesus' baptism. Now, this is another moment with pointers to the future. Heaven is torn open just like the curtain of the temple is torn in two at the moment of Jesus' death. That is a moment of great drama, of earth-shattering consequence, but it's also a profoundly intimate moment. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son, whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I wonder how Jesus felt at that moment. Terrified? Reassured? Amazed? Confused? Loved? 
Now, Jesus is specifically identified as God's son three times in Mark's gospel. First being here. A similar voice appears at the moment of his transfiguration. On the mountain, as Jesus is transfigured, Peter, James, and John are told, this is my son whom I love, listen to him. The message then is for the disciples. Here, it is for Jesus. Later on, the centurion who witnesses Jesus' death acknowledges, surely this man was the son of God an outsider seeing him for who he was. We have another pointer to the future here, but we also have an affirmation for the present. And the timing of this affirmation is significant. Jesus hasn't healed anyone yet. He hasn't preached a single sermon. He hasn't calmed any storms. He hasn't brought anyone back to life. He hasn't really done anything. He's lived a fairly ordinary life in Nazareth. And we know that on at least one occasion, he has seriously stressed his earthly parents out. The father here is affirming his son for who he is, not for what he has done, not even for what he is going to do. He simply says, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This love is not dependent on anything over and above mere existence. And the Father's love for us is the same. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 3 verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God loves us for who we are, not for what we have done, not even for what we are going to do. He just loves us. As Tom Wright has said of this moment in Mark, The whole Christian gospel could be summed up in this point. That when the living God looks at us, at every baptized and believing Christian, he says to us what he said to Jesus on that day. Does that mean it's always going to be easy? No. The amazing affirmation of Jesus is followed by a time in the wilderness. Forty days in the wilderness in Jesus' case. He was with Satan and the wild animals. Mark doesn't furnish this story with lots of details. Forty days deserve just 32 words, less than one word per day. He devotes many, many more words to the final hours leading up to Jesus' crucifixion. Other gospel writers include more details of Jesus' experience in the wilderness. Mark leaves it as an essentially private matter. But he does tell us that during that difficult 40 days in the wilderness with Satan and the wild animals, that angels attended him. He was never alone, and we are never 
alone. Now, in coming weeks, we are no doubt going to hear about Jesus' amazing healing power and some of his amazing teachings. But let's remember that at the core of who he was was his relationship with his father who loved him. Now, I don't know what the next year holds for me, let alone for the rest of you. But I do know that we are all deeply loved by God the Father. And that love does not depend upon anything we may or may not do. This is where you get everybody's favorite Philip Yancey quote. Grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. So as we begin this series in Mark, we need to have our eyes in two places at once. Each week we will have a snippet of action or teaching. But those snippets are part of a bigger story. A story that points to the cross. And a story that points beyond to the future, to us and our part in the story. This is his story and it is our story. What we have here is just the beginning of the good news about Jesus. Let's live our part of the story, always confident in the great depth of God's great love for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you'd like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.